You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Welcome in, everybody, this morning. We're excited that you're here joining us from all over the place. Uh, if you could do me a favor, we are in part five of a series in the book of Joel. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn to Joel chapter three right now, or you can follow along here on the screens. Uh, my name is Ben Fleming, and I'm the Generations Pastor here at Westside. Um, and as you turn to Joel, I do want to throw out, just to create a little bit more peace in my home, uh, I have a son named Joel. In uh, week one of this series, there was a huge problem in my house because there wasn't anybody talking about Jovi. Um, but we talked about Joel a lot. And so if some of you would turn to the book of Jovi, um, you would make my afternoon a much better experience. Hey, before we jump into the scripture, I do want to uh, I do want to acknowledge some people just in our community and in your lives and you yourselves. Uh, I spend a lot of time with youth and young adults and young families, and I've had so many conversations specifically this week about the difficulties with school and wondering what to do, and some parents wondering if they shouldn't take their kids in or out, or teachers that are walking through the experience kind of from the other side of the camera, the TV screen, or the whatever. Uh, I just want to send shout outs to all of you and acknowledge the struggle that so many of us are facing right now, whether it's as a parent or as a student or as a teacher. Teachers, you guys are doing an incredible thing to continue to educate and empower our students. I know that it's difficult. I know the calling is tough and you didn't sign up for all this, but the fact that you keep coming back to the table again and again and again, despite how difficult things are, I just wanna give you all the credit that we could possibly give you and thank you for continuing to do this with our students. For parents who feel anything like me, uh, I, I only have a five-year-old who's really in school. He's going through kindergarten and that has been tough enough. I can't imagine what it's been like to walk through seniors through their final year of school the way that we've been doing it. Uh, and if you're a parent that has felt anything like me, you have felt like a terrible employee. You felt like a terrible parent. Uh, you felt like a terrible husband or a wife. And those emotions can be difficult to deal with all at once. I want you to know that you are seeing that you're not the only one that's walking through this. And students, I feel like from my perspective, you're often forgot about because I like to think about myself. Uh, but what you guys are walking through together to be able to finish your education, to be able to make it through to the next year, I just hope that you stay consistent, you stay as passionate as you possibly can and as engaged. I want you to know that this isn't gonna last forever even though it seems like it, uh, it will. Uh, but what you are doing right now is worth the struggle and the fight. So continue to press on. Uh, can you guys, whether you're at home or whatever, uh, especially in here right now, can you guys just give a big round of applause for those three people? <laughs> Part five of this Joel series, and we're picking up after a couple messages from Pastor Evan and Pastor Steve uh, that have been about reconciliation and the power of the Holy Spirit invested in us respectively. A couple of really beautiful messages that have preceded what will be maybe the most difficult passage of scripture so far in the book of Joel. So let's just go ahead and jump into it, all right? This is Joel 3, verses 1 through 16. It says, at the time of those events, says the Lord, when I restore the prosperity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the armies of the world into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people among the nations and for dividing up my land. They threw dice to decide which of my people would be their slaves. They traded boys to obtain prostitutes and sold girls for enough wine to get drunk. What do you have against me, Tyre and Sidon, the cities of Philistia? What are you trying to take advantage, revenge on me? 
If you are, then watch out. I will strike swiftly and pay you back for everything that you've done. You've taken my silver and gold and all my precious treasures. You've carried them off to your pagan temples. You've sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks for they could take them far from their homeland. But I will bring them back from all the places to which you sold them and I will pay you back for everything that you've done. I will sell your sons and daughters, the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the people of Arabia and the nation far away. I, the Lord, have spoken. Say to the nations far and wide, get ready for war. Call out your best warriors. Let all your fighting men advance for the attack. Hammer your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Train even your weaklings to be warriors. Come quickly, all you nations everywhere. Gather together in the valley. And now, O Lord, call out your warriors. We're almost done. Hang on just for a few more verses. It says, let the nations be called to arms. Let them march to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I, the Lord, will sit to pronounce judgment on them all. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread the grapes for the wine press is full. The storage vats are overflowing with the wickedness of these people. Thousands upon thousands are waiting in the valley of decision and the day of the Lord will soon arrive. The sun and moon will grow dark. The stars will no longer shine. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a strong fortress for the people of Israel. So as we come off of these two messages about reconciliation, how we've been reconciled to the Lord. And uh, these are prophetic words that Joel is speaking into the world. And we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to move us forward in our pursuit of Jesus and God. Now we reach what we can pursue. And that is the subject of justice that we're going to run into this morning. Pray with me. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your justice. Lord, we thank you for your passion and your care and your love of us. Lord, help us grasp a depth of understanding when it comes to justice this morning, that we might draw to what your heart is for your people and understand who your people are in the first place. Jesus, we give you praise and glory in your name. And everybody said, amen. I've been watching uh, lots of stuff over the time of kind of the quarantine and COVID and all that stuff, because at least for a little while at the beginning, we had a little spare time and now I feel like all the time is gone. Uh, one of the things that I jumped into fairly recently was the new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, um, which I have got to say was an unbelievable experience in so many ways because Unsolved Mysteries was playing almost constantly in my home when I was growing up. We only had two channels, and it was ABC and NBC, and I can't remember which one of those, but one of them would run reruns during the day, and then they would run new episodes of Unsolved Mysteries during the night. For those of you who don't know what it is, Unsolved Mysteries is a show that had its peak in the 90s. Uh, it featured Robert Stack, who creeps me out still to this day, and he kind of hosted the show, and they would share you Unsolved Mysteries uh, about different things. It could be anything from like kidnapping to UFO sightings, like all this kind of stuff. Um, and it was part of a lineup of things that my mom really, really loved to watch. She still loves like cold case file stuff and uh, law and order was a big thing. And so there was a few sounds that really remind me of my childhood. And one of them was that law and order soundtrack, right? And then, and then Unsolved Mysteries had the same kind of thing. It had this theme song that when it came on, it would just, I don't know why I was allowed to watch it. This was, this was horror movies for Christian kids that weren't allowed to watch horror movies, okay? Because the stories were freaky and they were creepy. And then the worst thing that happened in the middle of Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid 
So I was watching Robert Stack come onto the, the stage or he would walk into that empty computer room, I think, where people were supposed to be doing research. And he said, in the little town of Glendale, Oregon, which is where I grew up. And I was like, no, Robert Stack, get out of here. And sure enough, there was this story, this unsolved mystery that had taken place. You can find it on YouTube, I promise, that had taken place in Glendale, Oregon. And nine-year-old me, all of a sudden, something that was a TV show that just kind of lightly creeped me out became real. And then there were all the surrounding stories. It turned out my parents had wandered through the hills looking for this child that had been lost. And uh, the people that I saw on the screen were actually people that I knew. They came to my football games or they came to my Little League games. And uh, they were real people in the real community. And the cameras were going down the real roads in the real city that I really lived in. And all of a sudden, Unsolved Mysteries became something more than a show for me. It became something that was like personal, something that could take place even outside of my door. And now anytime I hear that theme sound from Unsolved Mysteries, it puts me in my home on Bull Run Road, just outside of Azalea, Oregon, sitting in the chair atop the brown carpet. It puts me right in that same space that I grew up in again, and all I have to do is hear the sound. I wonder where we are transported to and where our minds go and where our actions go when we hear the word justice today. Justice, like a lot of words uh, over the last several centuries, really, but especially for us over the last several months is uh, we've kind of been divided and we've wondered exactly what's going on and we've taken this stand and we've taken this stand and we've taken that stand. The word justice can be something that might even cause a little bit of tension in the seats or in your living rooms right now. What's he gonna say next? What's he gonna say now? Preacher's talking about justice. What's gonna happen now? And I wonder if when we hear that word, we're not supposed to be triggered into this defensive stance, but because we understand who Jesus is and the greatness of all that he is, and we we want to understand exactly what he came to do and who he came to love, I wonder if our understanding of justice could increase to the point where we're not triggered into a defensive stance, but instead we're mobilized into the offensive understanding that Jesus came to provide justice for those who nobody else would stand up for. That Jesus came to provide justice for people, the poor, the broken, the hurting, the outsiders, the ones who have been considered by those with power. And I wonder if it could trigger those of us who have power into places where we want to extend our lives and our love that comes from Jesus to the people that don't have the experiences, the power, the opportunity that we have. Because this is exactly the prophecy that is existing in Joel right here. We can get caught up in a lot of the language and you can run down and you can look, for those of you who want a little bit of homework, uh, you can go into some other passages, Matthew 23, Romans 11, Revelation 16, Matthew 25, where you can see some of these prophecies come into pass in some ways or they're spoken of again. But what I wanna grab a hold of today is how can we deeply understand the way of justice when it comes to Jesus and maybe what are some things that we can avoid. So I wanna point out in this passage of scripture a few things that God really goes after. This is a violent, difficult to understand passage. And when I read through it the first time when they said, yeah, Ben, you get this, I was like, oh, this is good. No, yeah, no, you get old men will dream dreams and I get fashion your garden wear into swords and valleys of judgment. No, this is good. This is fine. I'll take it. 
But there's a few things that God really specifically goes after that I think can be really prevalent for us today. The number one thing that God goes after in this is creating division. He says, again, there I will judge them for harming my people, my special possession, for scattering my people and dividing up my land. When God calls out nations that divide what he has built, we can take an opportunity to examine the division created it by our own lives. Where are we creating a division in our families, our workplaces, in our communities? We all know it and we've talked about it and we're gonna keep talking about it because it's still such a part of our culture right now. Division is a huge and massive problem. And you have noticed probably in most of your families and your communities and maybe even in your churches or your small groups, your places of business, everywhere you go, you're wondering how can you broach different topics and subjects? Should we even talk about that at all anyway? We're so divided and we're wondering how you fit on what side of the spectrum and exactly where you are. I want you to understand that God, especially when it comes to his church and it comes to his people, God hates those who create division. He hates the dividers. So what are a few ways, especially in modern times right now, that that division is mostly created? I created this list um, based on different articles that I found that were talking about places in the workplace, the community, or in churches. uh, And they talk about how does division come to pass? What's the beginning of it? Uh, Here's one of the, the ones that occurred the most. Headline reading is a source of division. Uh, Maybe you're as guilty of this as I am. I just want to read the headline because I don't have time to actually read or comprehend or understand the story. So I just want to read the first thing and make my full judgment on that thing or that group of people or that person or that idea. And I want to call that how it is. And that's how it gets stuck in my mind. Another way that we create division is just by grandstanding. We don't actually want to make a difference in our world. We just want to make a really massive point. So we get people like me, right? I, will, I like standing on platforms. I tell, I tell people this all the time. You know, one of the reasons I like to preach is because I'm the only one with a microphone. And when I say something, it's just a monologue. This isn't a conversation. I'm not that worried about your feelings right now. But we get to just kind of preach and go after the word of God. But when that becomes unhealthy like it can in my own life, and when it becomes unhealthy like it can in our lives, then we we begin to make statements that we actually have no reason for backing up. We have no desire to come behind with actual acts and love and care. Instead, we just want to make a point instead of making a difference. The next thing that causes division is rumor mongering. You guys, this is how I know Christians get bored. Jesus has given us mandates, right? Like love your neighbor as yourself. And he's told us things like, when somebody comes and they ask for your shirt, go ahead and give them your jacket as well. And when we watch the story of Jesus and how he lived his life and he was just mostly homeless and he went around with people that didn't have a whole lot to offer him, I understand that we get bored as Christians when we start to push the rumor mill. That means we've lost sight collectively of what we're supposed to pursue and how we're supposed to love and instead we've indulged in the most basic of human things. And that is spreading rumors and lies about things that we don't understand, that we don't have first information on, and we're pursuing things instead just to to make ourselves feel better about where we stand in comparison to what we think about other people. 
And a lot of this is created and it's, it's cultivated in a culture like we have right now that's separated community-wise because of the pandemic. We're now floating in the middle of an ocean surrounded by darkness. And because we're afraid and we're wondering what every single sound might be around us, we begin to make up things about what that reality is. You become the kid that is like me watching Unsolved Mysteries as a small child. And I see the story about the UFO and then every sound I hear in the middle of the night in the A-frame up Bull Run Road in Azalea, Oregon is an alien. Now, because we've been disconnected and the communication isn't there and we're not standing right next to each other and we refuse to look each other in the eye in so many situations and get the next story. Again, it's kind of a form of headline reading. We have made the decision to make up what exists in those shadows instead of coming into contact with people directly. Gossip lying, our own insecurity, we're all feed into these things that create division. The second thing that God really goes after is the cheapening of human life. They threw dice to decide which of my people would be their slaves. We can cheapen human life in our own lives when we forget the journey that people can go on, the pain that they can go on, and even more than that, we can cheapen human life when we forget how much God has forgiven us. I went through a, a big change in my life when I had kids, and I'd, I've been working with young adults and junior hires and high schoolers for a long time, and then I had my own kids, and it went from this. It went from on Thursday nights, which is when we had our meeting, or Wednesday nights when, when we would meet with students, uh, being like, man, these kids are annoying, and they're needy, and they don't care about stuff and they're I idiots. Man, this is a glimpse into my private mind and ministry a few years ago, okay? And then I had kids. And every time I see a child in our services, I'm like, man, that one, that one's someone's baby. I just, I mean, they're still an idiot sometimes, but I love them. <laughs> it changes the perspective. Sometimes we cheapen human life because we actually believe, whether we would say it out loud or not, that those people aren't as valuable as I am. They don't have to offer as much as I do. They made these mistakes and I didn't. And so all of a sudden that puts me in a position where I can elevate the value of my own life above theirs. God hates the cheapening and the selling and the disregard for human life. So what are some of the remedies for this so that we can pursue justice, so that we can pursue uh, equality, so that we can pursue giving everyone the opportunity to experience and not just see or hear, but experience the great grace that God has offered every single one of us. We can indulge ourselves in the remedy of honesty. Honesty, 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 honesty. Start in your personal relationships, in your marriages, with your children, in your small groups, in your churches, in your places of business. Be honest. And sometimes honesty isn't, hey, I did this thing. Here's one of the big ones that I wish I would hear a little bit more often right now. Honesty is sometimes I don't know about that thing. I don't know anything about that thing. I don't know anything about that person. We can seek out... Hidden value, that's the second thing. The first remedy is honesty for these things. The, the second thing is that we can seek hidden value. I've been watching this, uh, this movie almost weekly now. It's called Moneyball. 
Uh, it's about the Oakland A's. It's baseball. I love baseball, all that stuff. It's got Brad Pitt in it, and he's gorgeous. Um, and it's about the, the statistical revolution in baseball. And the whole idea is that baseball had kind of been run one way for a long time, been scouted one way. People looked at players one way. And then Billy Bean, because he didn't have as much money as other general managers, had to find value in other players and positions in order to create a team that was as good as the ones that could spend all the money. And all of a sudden, people who didn't value walks, he was valuing walks. And, and guys that could pitch in specific ways, he would value them when everyone else kind of discarded them. You guys, I think a lot of times in our own personal lives, and especially in our churches, we seek out a value that is not necessarily the most valuable thing. Churches and, and us personally, we will seek power, we'll seek influence, we'll seek climbing the ladder instead of going down it. But I gotta tell you, there's something that we can do as a church is we can seek the value in our communities that don't necessarily benefit us personally and don't necessarily benefit everyone else in a traditional sense. But because God sees us in such an equal way, because God cares for all of us, right? For God so loved the world that when we seek hidden value, value that other peoples don't see, all of a sudden our communities come alive. All of a sudden our families come alive when we see the value in time that we didn't see before. All of a sudden our own souls and our own purpose comes alive because we have gotten out of the matrix of the way that we have been taught to believe and we begin to see things in a fresh new way and value and purpose can come to the forefront in the kingdom of God. And then number three, and this is my favorite one, we gotta remember the enemy. We have to remember that we're not fighting each other right now, but there is something greater. There is something spiritual. There is an enemy. His name is Satan. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy, and confuse, and crush us beneath the weight of our own incompetency. He's here to crush us between, beneath the weight of our differences. He seeks to divide us. So when we function in honesty, when we seek hidden value and remember that we have a shared enemy, all of a sudden we can gather together and we can accomplish the thing that God is telling us will be accomplished in Joel chapter three. And this is how I believe it looks, right? Because this passage, it would be easy to say, see, look, he's calling for the armies. There's the bad guys. We're the good guys. And so we're gonna, we're gonna take our shovels and we're gonna turn them into spears and we're gonna go out. It could be really easy. And we've done this um, globally as a church for a long time. All of a sudden, this is identified specifically these people that look like this, that live like this, that are from these places. But that doesn't stand up against, for God so loved the world. And that doesn't stand up against Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth, the, gospels, the gospel should travel. And it doesn't stand up against God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This passage tells me that especially because we've been reconciled to Jesus and because we have the power of the Holy Spirit on our side, we as a people, if we remain together, if we don't allow ourselves to be divided over things that don't matter, and even more than that, have no eternal value, we can bring a justice into this world that will rain down like the great freedom from the Spirit of God. 
It doesn't, and justice doesn't look like, okay, I'm gonna get what I want. Justice doesn't look like, dun, 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 dun. It doesn't look like law and order. It doesn't look like those things. Instead, it looks like receiving what God can offer us. Instead, it looks like God giving up heaven, giving up what he deserved and putting skin on and coming unto us to live on our dirty, dusty planet, to walk through puberty, to walk through awkward moments and stages of life and to gather to himself a bunch of unwanted people so that the world might see the glory and the love of God through him. Justice, yes, will be ushered in through the church and the people that exist inside of it, but I promise you it's not a justice that says we want what we deserve. Instead, it's a justice that says we want you to have what God will give. So we're all called to justice. It's not a catchphrase. It has belonged to God since the beginning. Eugene Cho said it this way. He said, justice matters, but we don't worship justice. It's better than that. We worship a just God. I wonder if we could fix our eyes again on Jesus today. And that as we hear that word justice, that again, we wouldn't be triggered into this defensive way of living or wondering what you mean based on justice compared to what I mean. Instead, that we would turn our eyes to Jesus, that we would be reminded ourselves again, that when God had every right to say that justice was to annihilate those who had come against him, he made the decision to put skin on and to walk our world with us and to bring opportunity to those who didn't have opportunity, to bring love for those who were outcasts and to bring those to purpose to those who had been said were purposeless. Jesus, we give you praise and glory and honor this morning. We choose to seek justice today, a justice that will inconvenience us greatly. A justice that will often keep us awake at night, a justice that will have to push us to look at our world in a different way, a justice that won't allow us to simply insulate our lives. A justice that looks like the one that you bring. So Jesus, don't allow us to be blown about as the apostle Paul says, by every wind of doctrine, by every mention of the word, by every idea and every phony idea of what justice might be. But instead, Lord, I pray that we would pursue the justice that you have. And that is to give every human the opportunity to see you and experience you like we've gotten to. Lord, I pray that we would be that people in that church, not distracted by this or that, but instead fully in love and embraced by you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said one more time, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much, you guys, for joining us online. We're so grateful, grateful, grateful that you continue to walk out this road with all of us. And you guys, home churches are going spectacularly. I'm so excited about the connections that are being made and how you guys have decided to leave and care for your community Thank you again for continuing to walk this out with us. Uh, The questions are gonna come up on the board. You guys are now free to roam about the cabin.